This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome to Maddox on the Mic, a legal podcast presented by Maddox, an independent Australian law firm. Hello and welcome to Maddox on the Mic. You're listening to Season 2 of Watchdog, where we'll be discussing recent consumer protection activity in the healthcare sector. My name is Sean Tenby. I'm a partner in the Dispute Resolution and Litigation team at Maddox with a focus on competition and consumer law. I'm also the editor of our annual publication, the ACCC Year in Review. Joining me today for our episode on healthcare is Maddox partner Aaron Klosko and special counsel Francine Kincaid. Aaron works with a diverse range of clients across the healthcare, aged care and medical technology sectors. He regularly advises public, private and not-for-profit healthcare providers, private health insurers, pharmaceutical and medical technology companies, aged care providers, health regulatory bodies and medical research institutions. That is a very long list, Aaron. Uh, His work has led him to being recognised as a leading lawyer in Doyle's Guide and Best Lawyers for Health and Aged Care. Francine is an experienced M&A lawyer with a wealth of experience in acquisitions, divestments, investments and joint ventures for corporate, private equity and government clients. Along with extensive experience in healthcare transactions, she has a particular interest in advising clients in the consumer goods and medical technology sectors. Welcome to the show, Aaron and Francine. Thank you for having us. Now, Aaron and Francine, Aaron, you in particular are a regular contributor to our annual publication, the ACCC Year in Review. Can you recap for our listeners what the ACCC's 2022 and 2023 priorities were in the healthcare space? Yes, of course. Thanks, Sean. Uh, The ACCC's enforcement and compliance priorities this year included consumer and fair trading issues arising from the COVID-19 pandemic and competition issues in global and domestic supply chains, particularly where they're disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Healthcare's not explicitly been on the ACCC's formal priority list for a couple of years, uh, but the ACCC does have an enduring priority for vulnerable and disadvantaged consumers, which tends to mean that healthcare is never too far away from the ACCC's oversight. Thanks, Sam. Francine, what do you think? How has the ACCC performed against those priorities this year? So overall, it's been a relatively quiet year for the ACCC in the healthcare sector. It started with a flurry of activity back in January, with the ACCC's focus on rapid antigen test pricing. Over the month from the 25th of December 2021 to the 26th of January 2022, the ACCC received more than 3,900 reports from consumers about rapid antigen tests, about 121 reports per day, with more than 95% of those reports regarding the price of the tests. The ACCC's actions in this period were a clear reflection of its priority regarding consumer and fair trading issues coming out of the pandemic. The ACCC's actions reminded businesses and consumers that while suppliers can usually determine their own prices, there are some circumstances in which excessive pricing goes so far as to be unconscionable conduct, which is prohibited, and businesses also can't make false and misleading statements about the reason for high prices or the reason for supply chain challenges. In this period, the ACCC also demonstrated its collaborative approach with other Commonwealth regulators and referred certain matters regarding rapid antigen tests to the Australian Federal Police and Therapeutic Goods Administration. It's crazy to think that we was we were talking about the pandemic and rat tests um, earlier this year. It almost seems like you know two or three years ago now. It's crazy. 
Yeah, and over these last couple of years, COVID has really been prominent in all aspects of our lives, um, particular, particularly in relation to the ACCC's um, enforcement um, actions across the sector. And it's important to remember that people were really scared and, and vulnerable to Absolutely. all manner of shonky products, dubious claims, demand-induced price gouging. I think we can all remember, you know, two dollar toilet rolls and those kinds of things. Yeah, certain celebrities spruiking various products. Exactly. Uh, the blitz on rats um, and pricing in Janu January was consistent with our prediction last year that COVID wasn't quite yet finished, um, causing issues for consumers that the ACCC may, may need to look at. But hopefully this is the last year we're talking about it. Absolutely. And there were some other matters that the ACCC had to look at this year, not just COVID related. As we moved through the balance of the year, the ACCC had a few proposed mergers to review in the healthcare and animal healthcare space, and then a few compliance matters that were particularly on theme for them. Yeah, I recall those. They, they were in relation to unsolicited consumer contact, particularly in the health insurance and in connection with therapeutic product markets. Aaron, what can you tell us about those? Uh, the first one to highlight was in the health insurance space. Um, private health insurance has been a focus for the ACCC for a very long time. Um, in fact, every year they produce a comprehensive report on the private health insurance sector, and they've done that for nearly 25 years under a 1999 Senate standing order. The case uh, that we wanted to talk about concerned a comparison service called the Compare Club, who engaged third parties to initiate unsolicited phone contact with consumers on its behalf as a precursor to the company then selling those consumers health insurance provided by a, a partnered health insurance provider. The issue was that the company failed to ensure that consumers were properly informed about their ordinary rights under the Australian consumer law when entering into unsolicited consumer contracts, including that they had a 10 business day cooling off period um, and their right to terminate those contracts. Um, it didn't matter that the company had engaged third parties to, to make those initial unsolicited contacts. The obligations to comply with um, the ACL remained with, with the company. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but those unsolicited calls and people spruiking products for me on a regular basis are annoying enough without them being misleading or... Um, you know, really taking advantage of a more vulnerable consumer. So I, I can understand why cases like this are very much on theme for the ACCC. Um, they've got a genuine bugbear about high-pressure act-now sales tactics, uh, particularly for expensive and complicated products like health insurance. Uh, and the other, the other matter also involved unsolicited consumer con contact the company involved called Revitalife sold adjustable beds and lift chairs using a combination of telemarketing and door-to-door -door sales. The company admitted that they failed to clearly disclose the true purpose of their unsolicited visits to consumers and did not explain to consumers that they were obliged to leave the premises immediately if they were asked to do so. Uh, there are also concerns regarding possible false and misleading representations that had been made to consumers about the basis on which the product recommendations were made to them 
and the consumers' rights under the ACL. So to unpack that a little bit more, the door-to-door salespeople were doing what they called sleep assessments. And the consumers involved didn't really know that those sleep assessments were just a precursor to to a sales call. Um, A case like this is a really good example of the ACCC's enduring priority for conduct that impacts consumers that are experiencing vulnerability and disadvantage. Um, The consumers here are, of course, largely elderly Australians, and the conduct involves salespeople coming into their homes without making clear why they were there. Yeah, I mean, door-to-door sales are interesting because what a lot of people don't realise is that frequently people that are home during the day are people that are elderly or perhaps are dealing with a disability, um, you know, they're, they're not in full-time employment for a reason. Um, a lot of them, particularly if they've got intellectual disability or, or are elderly, you know, they're just so starved for company. When someone comes to their door and offers to do something for them, many years ago I had a case involving the sale of a dodgy, well, it was a good vacuum cleaner, but with dodgy sales tactics, and they got in the door with an offer to test the uh, performance of the uh, intellectually disabled couple's um, existing vacuum cleaner. So a lot of the same hallmarks about taking advantage, you know, getting in the door with um, uh, the offer of testing and things like that. So, yeah, they, I can understand when you look at it in that context why door-to-door sales are so problematic. All right, but if the ACCC, I mean, that's not a lot of activity, uh, particularly compared to what we've seen in the past. If, if the ACCC had a, a, an overall quiet year in this space, does that mean there wasn't much happening in healthcare? Not at all. Um, So what we've really seen clearly this year is sustained activity from other regulators, such as the TGA. So the ACCC states publicly that it liaises closely with other domestic and international regulators and government agencies on competition and consumer issues in their area of expertise. Therapeutic goods is one area where the ACCC notes that other regulators have expertise and lead responsibility. So the TGA has been particularly active this year in relation to healthcare advertising. And there's, there seem to be three main areas receiving significant attention. So in relation to nicotine vaping products, false and misleading advertising in healthcare and making prohibited statements in advertising. So we're recording this on a Wednesday and just yesterday we received notification that the TGA had issued further significant fines to a number of companies and individuals in some of these areas. Uh, They've continued to take action in relation to unlawful advertising of nicotine vaping products. Um, They're products that are only available on prescription in Australia at the moment and can't be advertised to the public except within very limited parameters. Having published guidelines for retailers, consumers and prescribers last year in relation to nicotine vaping products, the TGA has really cracked down on it and has continued to be really active in taking action against those who haven't followed the rules. I think... Vaping is going to be one of those things we look back on in, you know, 5, 10, 20 years and think, how the hell do we allow another highly addictive nicotine-based product into the market? It's just crazy. I mean, we were doing so well with, um, with driving down uh, smoking rates and now we've got, you know, I think one in 10 people are vaping. It's crazy. It's fascinating just seeing the number of people um, having seen such a drop just when you look around the community to see it sort of picking up again. It's Scary. Yeah, well, it's good to see the TGA taking action in relation to the advertising of these products. Absolutely. And so I think leading on from that then is the false and misleading advertising, um, which is another area where the TGA takes a particularly keen interest. For healthcare products and devices, this can include advertising products or devices as being suitable for something that they're not authorised to be used for. 
So a number of advertisers have been fined by the TGA this year uh, for this type of false advertising. Uh, there was one supplier uh, who had who was fined by the TGA for advertising a product or a purpose um, for which a certain supplement could be used. Um, in that case, the supplement was listed as a medicine on the ARTG with a, for a range of indications, um, including maintenance of hair health and eye health, assisting with metabolism. What it wasn't indicated for was skin lightening, which had appeared on a couple of the labels for the medicine. The TGA then issued a prevention notice restricting the supplier from advertising that product, um, that the product was indicated for skin lightening. In another case, uh, the TGA fined a supplier of a medical device, a transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation or TENS device, for allegedly advertising the TENS device for a purpose that wasn't listed on the AFTG as what you could use that. So there's probably one other case that's worth mentioning in this area. The, um, in July, the TGA received an enforceable undertaking for a company that had advertised certain of its product as being TGA approved. That statement's prohibited unless the company has a specific approval from the TGA to make those statements. The, the products in that case included face shields, so it's interesting to note the contrast between that case where it was the TGA taking action and the position of a last year of a retailer who had advertised face masks that referred to purported FDA um, and CE, so the US and, and European sort of approvals, where the retailer was ultimately fined by the ACCC. Aaron, do you want to talk to prohibited statements? Yeah, the, the TGA's role in consumer protection um, is also evident in the action it takes against those who make prohibited statements in healthcare advertising. There are a range of statements that are simply not permitted to be made in advertisements relating to healthcare products, including claims about serious diseases like cancer and claims that products are infallible or unfailing, magical, miraculous, those kinds of things. So on the COVID related theme, the TGA issued an infringement notice to one herbal medicine practitioner who was advertising on social media that certain herbal and complementary products um, implied that they could provide a, quote, miracle COVID treatment. Uh, one retailer in particular was prosecuted following investigations by the TGA for a range of offences, including advertising prohibited products, making unlawful therapeutic claims, such as that the product could treat cancer and failing to comply with advertising rules for, for other products. The retailer um, pleaded guilty to seven breaches of the Therapeutic Goods Act um, and the director of the retailer was also um, pleaded guilty to, to several breaches of the Therapeutic Goods Act. Um, the products involved um, were products with names like black salve and bloodroot, um, which are actually prohibited from sale, supply and use in Australia full stop. Um, and another product called Gumby Gumby, um, which may have a traditional use as a food or medicine in an indigenous Australian populations, um, but it's simply not permitted to be used in a way once it's processed, you know, and encapsulated in powder form and then offered for sale. So to, to recap, okay if you're using it as a traditional food, not okay to manufacture a product out of it and, and sell it um, as a therapeutic good. Um, so various prohibited claims were made by the retailer about those products' abilities to prevent and treat various forms of cancer and other kinds of serious illnesses.
The supplier of the TENS device we mentioned earlier was also fined because of some of the statements that were made in its advertising for the product. That included some prohibited representations, uh, which included references to depression, anxiety, and sleep disturbances, which are among those that are not permitted to be used. Yeah, these cases really highlight the dual interest of both the ACCC and the TGA in advertising in the healthcare sector. And I guess it makes sense because healthcare is so critical and healthcare consumers are frequently vulnerable as well. So it's, it's not just the TGA and the ACCC in this space. There's also the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, or, or APRA, um, who are also an, a regulator for healthcare advertising, um, particularly in relation to the provision of health services. So alongside the various national health healthcare practitioner boards, um, APRA enforces the advertising rules under the national law that apply to health practitioners such as doctors, chiropractors, dentists, um, as well as companies that provide healthcare services such as pathology providers. Um, APRA and the national boards have generally been quite active in monitoring compliance with the advertising guidelines and, and taking action where necessary. Um, similar to the other regulators, APRA has a public position that they will um, they'll share information and work with the ACCC and the TGA where applicable. Um, one really interesting development in this space this year is in relation to the use of testimonials in healthcare advertising. Um, currently, testimonials relating to clinical aspects of a healthcare service um, can't be used in advertising at all. Um, so you might be able to have a testimonial about, you know, the good service you received from a particular healthcare practitioner, uh, but you can't use a testimonial about symptoms, diagnosis, treatment or, or outcomes. Right. Oh, for uh, those of us old enough to remember, is this the law that prevented Bob the dentist from showing us his face in all of those TV ads? More or less, it's the same underlying policy. I suspect those um, those old television commercials uh, were a reflection of the professional association's rules at the time. Um, but in any event, this policy may be about to change. Um, there's legislation that is currently being debated which would amend the national law to remove the blanket prohibition on the use of testimonials in relation to the clinical aspects of health services. Other restrictions would still apply, including that advertising cannot be false or misleading and that regulated health services cannot be advertised in a way that directly or indirectly encourages the indiscriminate or unnecessary use of regulated health services. But this is quite a change for the various health professions and it is a real watch this space, both for whether the legislation will pass in its current form and ultimately how the regulators and professions propose to work through its implementation. It's a development about which I genuinely have mixed thoughts. Uh, the policy behind the ban on testimonials makes a lot of sense and it's been law for a long time, um, but so much has changed in the marketplace. Any consumer could put the, the name of any health professional into their phone or laptop using their chosen search engine um, and see a testimonial about that health practitioner. The argument that um, the current ban on testimonials is doing nothing to stop testimonials existing in the marketplace probably carries some weight.
Yeah, but I wonder, is that really a valid argument for um, removing the law or is it simply the case that they need more funding so they can take greater regulatory action? Yeah, this is a really genuinely difficult policy area and a lot of the thinking around um, the removal of this ban on the use of testimonials actually occurred um, before another serious development this year, which has been... Um, a lot of the exposure of the cosmetic medicine um, industry where the use of testimonials um, is actually more prominent for reasonably obvious reasons. Um, and the two, the interaction of those two developments across these this year has really been quite interesting to watch. Um, certainly this is a change which is not without consequences uh, and we will be watching it closely to see um, if and how it's implemented. Yeah, I, I guess it's the it's what we've seen in that industry that is uh, makes this change all the more important. And, and, and as you say, you've got your doubts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's actually been quite a busy year in the healthcare sector. Um, what do you think the ACCC and some of the other regulators will be looking at in terms of enforcement in this space for next year? So I expect to see a continued focus around vulnerable and disadvantaged consumers. Um, with the advent of consumer-directed care in sectors such as aged care and disability services in the home, we've been expecting to see more consumer protection activity as consumers are encouraged to take more control of their healthcare needs. However, our predictions around that have been overshadowed somewhat in the last few years, given the necessary focus on the COVID response in those sectors. Um, but we certainly expect to continue to see activity in this space over the next few years. Yeah, well, hopefully we're done with COVID. Let's hope so. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for tuning in to Maddox on the Mic. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to maddox.com.au forward slash podcast to subscribe. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed in today's episode, visit the Maddox website, maddox.com.au.